Tenekoto, Nomai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hi everyone, welcome back. If you're new to our podcast, then thank you so much for joining us today. Let me set a scenario for you all. I want you all to imagine what it must be like to be a young single mum in your early 20s living in a very isolated place with your sister living in a house next to yours way out in the country. One night you're just sitting watching television when you get a phone call from your sister completely out of the blue. As a result of this phone call, you find yourself witnessing something totally incredible and scary. Then as a result of what you witness, your life, as you knew it, is shattered completely and you become fearful for the safety of your young child, who's about three and a half years old, yourself and your loved ones. The military and government officials that turn up threaten to remove your child from you if you don't comply with the official explanation they want the public to hear. As if that wasn't bad enough. As a result of this, you have a flood of memories come back that are incredibly traumatising and turn your ideas of reality inside out. What would you do? How would you cope? How would you feel? This is the situation that my guest mum and he found himself in that night, that night of the 21st of April 1991, at around 10.18pm, when a UFO crash-landed in the swampy marshes immediately behind their two homes in South Jersey in the United States. This is both my guest's recollections and what his mum and aunt shared with him in the years following this incident. As always, the question is, will you walk with me as we journey into this part of the Shadowlands and see what awaits us there? Then let's begin. When a triangular UFO crashed in the marsh behind Robert's home in southern New Jersey in 1991, it forever changed his view of reality. Now Robert is a disclosure advocate helping others who have had an experience like his family's. My guest, Robert Earl White, as mentioned previously, was between three and a half and four years old when he had his life-altering experience along with his mum, aunt and some of his mum's friends that were over at her house that night or watching some sports game on TV. My guest, Robert Earl White. 
really awesome to have you on on my podcast and thank you very much for agreeing to speak to me for listeners i met robert on tiktok and well, I saw a couple of TikToks he had posted about his mother's experiences. And I really felt like I wanted to talk to Robert and get to know a bit more about these experiences in depth and how they've affected him and his family's lives, because there's no doubt they have. Absolutely. And basically, it all started for us uh, April 21st, 1991. So going back about 30 years ago, we lived in South Jersey uh, here in the United States in a small country town, a lot of farmland. We lived in an old farmhouse, single mother, 22 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, we had my grandfather she took care of that lived there. He was elderly. And then directly next door, we had my aunt's house. And my little cousin, about the same age, she was 38 years old and also a single mother. And we lived out in the middle of nowhere. We had a creek, a little waterway with a little bridge, one car at a time that could cross over it. And that waterway connected to a local nuclear plant. We lived very close to a nuclear plant. And... Um, Throughout my research throughout the years, there's been a lot of stuff that has happened around this nuclear facility that we just so happened to grow up next to. Right. Long story short, April 21st, right around 10, 18 p.m. at night, it was rainy. The cloud coverage was about 1,100 foot, so it was very low, you know, and my aunt who lived next door she woke up to use the bathroom and she looked out her bedroom window and she saw an elongated triangular object, which kind of looked like a helicopter, but it was completely silent, hovering above the tree line with three blue lights coming from like the three corners of what you would imagine an uh, elongated triangle looking like. Right. But from the center of it, there was a bright white light. So she's watching it for a little bit. And this is 1991, you know, before technology. I, I know some of the young, younger people might not be able to imagine this. <laughs> but, you know, um, so she goes back into her bedroom, picks up the phone, calls my mother. My mother was next door watching a baseball game with two of her girlfriends. I was upstairs. I was just about four years old at the time. And my elderly grandfather was sleeping in the other bedroom. My bedroom window, my bed was right near the back window. And the back of our house was the kitchen area. My mother hears the phone ringing. She runs to the back of, well, she didn't run. She went to go <laughs> answer the phone. Well, what would it be? Right. So she answers the phone as my aunt and she says, Beth Ann, my mom's name was Beth Ann and Beth Ann, look, there's something out behind the tree line just hovering there. My mom looks and she sees the same thing, completely silent, three blue lights, had a slightly different perspective. You know, our house was like this and my aunt's house was like that. Right. And they were right next to each other and not many other houses. And they're watching it. My mom's two girlfriends come running over. 
They rush over to see what all the commotion was. They're watching it as well. I hear the commotion. I'm peeking out, but I normally leave myself out of the story because for the most part, I'm going over, you know, the adults in the situation where I was so young, it was traumatizing. But I can admit, uh, how old were you? I was three and a half, almost four years old. Right right at that age Mm. where you just start to understand things Mm. and then uh, not to spoil the story. So as they're all watching it on the phone with each other, you know, we hear the commotion and looking all of a sudden red and orange sparks started shooting out of this thing, followed by a bright flash. And I don't say this in the story, but when I do interviews, I explain it. The white flash was something coming down and hitting whatever this craft was. Right. And when this happened, there was an explosion, but not just any explosion. And there's a lot of weird stuff about this case. When this thing exploded, the that middle part, that white light they saw in the middle, the whole entire craft basically sucked itself into itself. It like imploded, imploded on itself. And that access on the outsides of it, like a normal explosion with, you know, bright flash and the access pieces flew all over the place. But the main core of it, it kind of sucked itself into itself and it shot directly towards the ground in an explosion, in a, you know, a beam ball of light very hard to explain and after that happened obviously my mother my aunt everyone was really shooken up you know whether not that this was necessarily an alien a ufo first thoughts that went through their mind was someone just died you know some sort of craft and the way it exploded and it kind of came down it really scared them because it seemed like it was coming towards the house. Right. And yes. And uh, it, it was very traumatic. So soon as that happened, without hesitation, my mother hung up the phone. She called 911. And what happened after that became known as the Lower Alloways Creek incident. The small town in New Jersey is uh, Lower Alloways Creek. And uh Yeah. And then a bunch of wacky stuff happened after my mom made that 911 call. Right. Can I go back a minute? I didn't want to interrupt you while you're in the flow, but what did something, I'm not sure that I understood correctly, did something actually hit the craft to cause it to explode? So so a a beam of light hit the craft and that caused the explosion. That's what I believed happened. Um, I don't know if it was a beam of light hitting it or some sort of you've I'm sure most people have seen these balls of lights Mm. that are flying around. Imagine something like that or a beam hitting it. But it was some external something white light, some sort of external light that hit this thing that made. The, you know, the sparks kind of start shooting out of it. And then the engine, which is 
obviously it was a highly advanced compulsion system of some sort mm. for it to explode and like suck everything into it and then boom straight to the ground really wow. quick wow yeah Okay, that's what I thought you said. I just wanted to clarify because yeah. uh, I wasn't sure if I'd heard correctly. So, so I can just imagine the emotions that your mum and your aunt must have been going through. Single parents with little kids to protect, young woman, because they weren't very old in their 20s is not old. They must have been completely traumatized and terrified. Well, one, that there was somebody had died, and two, what yeah. was it? So... To to get back to your story, your mum phoned the police. And, you know, after my mother called the police, that's when things really, yeah. you know, amplified. And it just, it opened up a can of worms for my mother, yes. you know, for personal experiences. It just, it changed everything. But it was covered up extremely well. Right. Okay, so can we kind of go through like a chronological uh, happening of what happened after that because I actually and so you know I've been an experience in my entire life I think I may have told you that when we were corresponding so I have a vested interest in, in stories like this and I actually haven't heard of your mother's one of this incident before so after your mum phoned the police did the police come out immediately? Immediately, 10 minutes afterwards, the police got there. They, they get a very brief initial statement. You know, what did you see? Describe what you saw. Where did it go down? And then right. their main concern was obviously getting to the area, getting more info to know where this was. Right. Uh, they were maybe there five, 10 minutes at most. They were, you know, when some, when a call like that gets reported, they're trying to get on Quick, it yeah. fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, after my mother, he went next door where he talked to my aunt who was in the house, you know, and called my mother initially. Right. So and then I'm sure he went probably towards the scene. This is where the story gets really crazy. Keep in mind throughout the night when all this happened, it was 10, 18 p.m., you know, right. and by time. The police got there. It was getting later. It was raining. It was dark. They were traumatized from seeing something that big explode Mm -hmm. that low behind their house. And behind that area, there was the creek. And there's a lot of foxtails, a lot of mud, marshland, really marshy. And there's a very thin tree line. And the tree line is what separates our houses from where the bridge and the story is and the marshland and all of that's very thin tree line. Right. And 25 minutes, you know, my family, they didn't leave the house. They were there the entire night, 25 minutes afterwards, two black Lincoln town cars show up to the house and out of the one car, a gentleman dressed in air force attire, And out of the other car, two gentlemen wearing black suits, black hats, no sunglasses. This was long before the movie Men in Black. A lot of people have joked, oh, Men in Black, the movie. This happened in 1991. Will Smith was still a baby. (laughs) I had my own experience back in the 60s with the Men in Black. So, yeah, I'm with you. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Going back that far. Mm -hmm. So, 
so you you've seen them as well in yeah. person yes okay and all right feet well, away. yeah well then let me tell you this story and it will make sense to you and hopefully the people listening so we see them now my mom still up to this point anything about aliens or anything like that we were country folk <laughs> very religious area um it just wasn't that kind of area of people. Right. If you know, we were backwoods farming folk. It just that was out. We couldn't even comprehend something like that. Right. So, my mom and everyone, you know, they thought this was just military. You know, they thought they were with mil. They saw the Air Force uniform and they were like, "Well, it was probably something they were flying and it crashed." And they want to know what happened. So, a lot of people were like, "Oh, your mom wasn't afraid." No, uh, I just saw something crash behind my house. I call 911. I expect the military to come here and, you know, ask questions. It it wasn't strange. And, you know, just because guys back then, you know, how was she supposed to know? You Mm -hmm. know, guys wearing black suits and hats with a guy from the Air Force, maybe their secretary, you know, there was no putting it. She's 22 years old. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, what can you do? So she invites them in. They come inside, go into the living room. My mom's two friends are still there at the time. They have them sit down on her couch. My mom sits down. Her two friends sit down. And the men in black, they had a pencil and a notepad. And they look at the three girls sitting on the couch And they asked them to draw three different kinds of extraterrestrials, like just really random and oddly. And you know how they can kind of act like nonchalant about things that that's what they were doing, like almost making it out to be a joke. And my mother's two friends started laughing. They started cracking up. They're like, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, they basically asked them to leave. And, you know, they thought, like, it wasn't what they were expecting. Right. You know, they, right. they, it's almost like they already knew. For mm-hmm. that to be the first thing they bring up, my mom and those two girls thought they were going to come in there. All right, can you explain to me what you saw? Right. No, that wasn't it. Who, who, who would start? investigation by can you draw three different kinds of extraterrestrials long story short my mom's two friends were laughing and it was getting later by that point you know they showed up 25 minutes after 10 18 Mm -hmm. so you know it was almost 11 o'clock by this point and they were tired they were out late the night before this is actually reported you know, say my mom was up to like 4.30 at a party and they they lied in the articles. They said she was married. She was just hanging out with a couple of guys. You know, yeah. we were country folk, wild. My mom was, a you know, a fun, wild, free spirit. She yeah. was young, single yeah. mom, yeah. working all the time. She had fun when she wasn't working and killing herself. But long story short, um, they my mom basically started to draw three different kinds of extraterrestrials. And at this point, the other two girls, they went ahead and left. And still at this point, they didn't think anything suspicious of it. They left and my mom went ahead and she drew three different kinds of extraterrestrials. 
one that looked like, you know, your real basic gray extraterrestrial, mm. you know, this was with a pencil and a notepad. And my mom had artistic abilities, but believe me, um, after the whole incident, it was just chicken scratch. It was like, you would have thought a th three-year-old, you right. would have thought I drew it, right. you know? Um, but it wasn't the point. She drew three different beings. One was your typical gray extraterrestrial. The other one was one she called the blues, uh, you know, as a gray extraterrestrial. And the other one, you know, was a, a Nordic. She called Nordic. Very, very basic beings. Right. Um, after doing that, the gentleman that was in the Air Force, and believe this or not, the military uses regression therapy. They use it for soldiers that go through post-traumatic stress disorder to right. gain intel from a combat situation in order to get every single detail. The gentleman that was with the Air Force, he was trained in hypnotism. Right. And he hypnotized or did a regression therapy, I should say, you know, appropriately. Yeah. I don't I don't want people to think he was going like that. It wasn't that kind of therapy. And they did a regression, a very brief one, very brief, no longer than maybe 10 minutes. And the stuff my mom revealed, meanwhile, the men in black were standing in the corner listening to everything my mom was saying, unfortunately. And to just kind of go past that, basically at that point in moment was the moment my mother realized that these beings have been, you know, dealing with her since she was a baby right. up until the present day. Other than that, when my mom was a child, she would wake up with strange scars. My grandmother would tell her, you just scratch yourself, strange dreams, weird <laughs> feminine problems. You know, um, she got her menstrual cycle extremely young and just weird things like that. And she had a lot of problems, but always just dismissed it all you know strange and where we lived it was normal but at that moment when the gentleman from the air force did this brief regression therapy and my mom put out that information it led to the next part of the conversation so on top of seeing a craft very low and explode regardless of who's in it who owns it or anything right. Right. absolutely terrifying just looking at this logically then to have you know fancy official men you know we, we weren't custom to men in suits coming to our house right. you know and and if they did we normally hid from them because we thought they were jehovah's witnesses <laughs> so we we I'm, I'm not joking we had a whole routine because we would have them come out here and we would turn off all the lights and hide underneath the couch <laughs> i'm not even i'm not joking but so we weren't we weren't accustomed to that kind of uh stuff whatsoever and we were skittish of everything right and long story short they uh after the regression and you know my mother going through all this and understanding this phenomena the men in black said do you have any questions and i think out of the interactions between the men in black this is huge because from everything i've heard of the men in black you normally don't really get to ask questions mm -hmm. and any questions that you do ask 
they are so direct, so direct. Mm -hmm. And one other thing too, since you've seen them, I'll pull this up. When they were holding the pencil before giving it to my mom and their two girlfriends, they were looking at it like they've never seen one before. Mm. Like, I understand, I, I know military mind tactics and how to get into people, but the way they were looking at this pencil, it was like, we're so proud that they knew how to hold this pencil. You know, like it, they, like they couldn't comprehend how you would use it. Right. It, was, it was weird behavior like that. Other than that, completely human looking yeah you know completely human a lot of people you know no they they looked human you know and but they just did weird weird things things. Mm -hmm. and weird things that's a very common uh that's a very common thing that those that have witnessed men in black have said they behaved in a strange manner they or you know if they looked semi-normal their behavior was quite abnormal almost like they use that behavior to hope to make you question everything you're seeing, because why would they be doing that behavior? You know, it's almost like they're, they're really good at telepathy and they're powerful yes, yes. and they have the power to, well, I'll, I'll get into that. So they, you know, after f keep in mind what my mom revealed was some big things. And I don't really share a lot of that too publicly, but unfortunately, this gave them information they were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And a little pre-track, because during this time of the Men in Black, while they were doing all this, there was a lot of other stuff going on as well right. at the, you know, scene. Firefighters, which we'll get into that. But as they were conducting this, you know, and they were about to, you know, allow my mother to ask three questions, you know, Everything was, they had to know they got there 25 minutes mm -hmm. and the gentleman from the air force base, I think came from an air force base that was like an hour, and 30 minutes away. Right. You know, so there, my aunt saw it, that craft was already there yeah. near a nuclear plant, a no fly zone. I believe the military base already had this thing on radar oh. and they were already in pursuit. Um, I think that's that's the only way logically I can explain the men in black getting to our house out in the middle of nowhere. 25 minutes. It took us longer than that to get to our family's house. Right. You know, it, it, it's mind blowing. But uh, they had to know. So my mom asked them three simple questions. And keep in mind, you know, she just went through this phenomenon, what was going on. And the first question my mom asked the men in black is, are these things dangerous? Keep in mind, 22-year-old single mom, yeah. you know every question she asks is going to be about protecting her kid, Yeah, it's especially what it after what she revealed in the regression therapy, which I don't get into too much to extremes. But so the men in black replied, very blunt, if they were dangerous, do you think we would still be here? Done. That was it. That was the answer. It wasn't, it wasn't like admitting to anything, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. just very, if they have to answer you, you know, that's, it's, you almost got to be careful with the questions, but that wasn't yeah. her intent. She would, she didn't, you know, she wasn't trying to hound them. She wasn't even thinking that, you know, 
The second question my mom asked was, you know, why don't people know about these things? Much better question, you know, much better question. And they said, we're doing everything we can by preconditioning. Within the next 10 years, you will see signs of extraterrestrials in every uh, movie, books, music, media, all of the above. And this is 1991. Yeah. Can I, can I interject here? Uh, further to that, in, in the 80s, in the late 80s, I was told by my star people that the governments had been given notice that they had to let people know of the extraterrestrial presence or the choice would be taken out of their hands. And that was when the preconditioning started. Yeah. And that's that's it, preconditioning. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And see, I was just about four years old. So when I was watching my cartoons, although, you know, I knew better to keep my mouth shut about these things. And I did. And I went on to do really good things. Uh, I kept my mouth shut about it. Mm-hmm. And I would watch this and they were right. I, I would see it. And, you know, every other little boy was watching these cartoons, just la, 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 la. Yeah. And I was really, and now I'm starting to show them the people again, because I remembered them when I saw them, but long story short, that's what they said. And uh, it was also funny because 1991, 10 years growing up, my mom, all of us, we always thought disclosure mm. was going to be 2001. We got, uh, we didn't get that. Honestly, we got the complete opposite of that in 2001. We all know what happened. Big distraction happened, Mm. you know, in New York City. And then war started, you know, it's almost like the disclosure, according to them, was supposed to happen in 2001. It seems like at any time this starts to get close, there's another big distraction that throw everyone off you could say right so um the third question after they answered which once again it was really brief really brief the third question my mom asked you know after realizing these beings are taking her and she's not in this house you know Mm -hmm. and she realized this in the regression and she asked the men in black when these beings are taking me what would happen if something happened to my elderly grandfather or my baby boy. And the men now see the men in black don't expect questions like that. Right. And when you, when you ask the right question, sometimes they got to spill a little bit. And that was a very specific, specific mm-hmm. question. And this is what the men in black said. They use small grays that stay behind. And if anything was to happen to your baby or your grandfather, they would have you back and they took their hand and they snapped their fingers. And when they snapped all, they were so proud. They knew how to do that. Human beings snapped that arrogance, that arrogance. You know what I'm talking about. And, uh, And that was it. And they said, any more questions? My mom said, no, that's it. And then they said, okay, tomorrow, many different media outlets are going to come here, you know, investigators, the news, newspapers, asking you what you saw and what happened. 
and you will say it was a helicopter or we will take your son away. So think about everything my mom revealed Mm -hmm. in the regression. Think about my mother's three questions, Mm -hmm. all involving protecting me. Mm -hmm. What did they use against my mother? Of course. Me. Of course. That's what they did. It's what they did with my mom as well. That's what they do. They're honestly Mm -hmm. harmless, but they're great at telepathy. And they know the very thing you're afraid to lose. Right. And the thing they didn't plan on was someday that four-year-old little boy is going to grow up and not have anything left to lose. And that is dangerous to them. And now the thing I've loved the most, you know, unfortunately, isn't here anymore. So they don't really have much on me. But long story short, uh, that's what they said. My mom said, I understand. And my mom played to the script. Right. She played to the script. After that, we never saw them, heard of them. Nothing ever again. Nothing ever again. My mom did exactly as she was told, but things went a little deeper the next day, but we'll get into that. Right. And real quick. So what was going on at the crash site? Why the men in black were at our house? You know, we weren't leaving. Right. Turns out my cousin, which was the fire chief at the time, and a lot of people, after kind of speed this up, I kind of got to go forward and go backwards to really explain this real time to you. Okay. So last June, I found articles after 30 years of not having evidence. Mm-hmm. not having proof that this ever happened. Mm-hmm. I found articles. And after I found the articles, I made a documentary. After I put the first part out going over the articles, I had a flood of witnesses come in. Wow. And this is where it gets really deep. And this is how I started to uncover what was actually going on at the scene. Right. And coming from like reputable adults, you know, these were adults, these were police officers. This is all well documented. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were involved, no doubt about it. They had two other people call the police station. They were about 20 miles away and they saw it where it was in our backyard. Mm-hmm. But they were so far away, they just they thought it was a helicopter flying extremely low right. and because it was near the nuclear plant. Everyone was confused. Right. So uh, the fire trucks, as they were approaching the scene, which the fire trucks arrived about 40 to 45 minutes after the initial phone call to 911, you know, it was Sunday night. It was late raining country it took them a while mm-hmm. so as they're approaching they're in the fire truck and they're very high up and they can see into the marsh and the foxtails and the mud and they saw gouges and it was all ripped up and messed up and as they got a little closer up ahead they saw large black tarps laying out on the marsh big black tarps and there was a gentleman from the coast guard armed and he flagged them down and they were like you know hey And he said the situation is under control and he ordered them to go back around uh, after they turned back around. And also keep in mind, there were no burn marks or fire marks in the crash area. That's mind blowing. I can't imagine that. 
But uh, after they got back to the firehouse, there was a few people hanging out. It was the local hangout because there was nothing else. Yeah, the right. fire. It was the place and a couple girls and two separate trips. They went and they went as far as they could, which at that time they had the road blocked. That bridge and that road has been closed till this day. Wow. It closed down the night of the accident. That and it's still closed. That's why the road's all abandoned and the bridge is all painted up and they got barriers. Uh, why this, do you why do you think it's closed? Is it because there's maybe nuclear fallout or radiation or something? That there's a lot of speculation around it. The official thing they were saying was the structure became not stable, but at the same time during that time they had very large trucks carrying material right. big trucks the one woman as she was approaching she saw a tree cutting service that came there to remove trees then the second woman when she, by the time she got there after the first one you know she was nosying around seeing what was going on went back to the firehouse the second one went and at that point, she saw a flatbed truck with black tarps with objects loaded on the back of them. I guess they, they, this is what they use, uh, flatbed trucks. You would think it would be more like something hidden, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's really not. It was pretty primitive. And the Coast Guard was involved because the Coast Guard is involved with guarding the nuclear plant. So that's how they were one of the first ones. And remember, that crick goes directly to the nuclear plant. Right. Now, we all know these beings are, are science. A lot of them are, you know, scientists. Right. And they're really curious in radi radiation and nuclear mm -hmm. energy mm -hmm. or natural energy, any sort of energy. They don't care. They love to study energy. And, you know, this has been a hot spot, you know, for a long time, right. not to mention in my research, I found another article going five years prior and the fire chief and Dover Air Force Base and the Coast Guard, there was objects, a blue flying object, no crash, but something flying around that they picked up on the radar. Right. And I have those articles of the same people talking to each other. So by the time the thing actually went down, they were really, really on it and yeah. fast. And I've had uh, a lot of people come forward, a lot of other witnesses that were in the area or worked on the EMS squad. I just had a few weeks ago, someone messaged me. I worked on the EMS squad, you know, with the ambulance and all that. Uh, they didn't work that night, but they worked the following night. And the search went on for like two days. Wow. So, and they had that whole area cleaned up in the first two hours. And my mom was on the phone with search and rescue helicopters. They had four search and rescue helicopters, one with thermal cameras on it. Wow. Like that's a lot of money yeah. back in 1991. Yes. And by the time they got out, which was around one, uh, two o'clock, the search and rescue helicopters got there. They already had the site cleared out. They cleared mm. it out in two hours. They cleared it out in two mm. hours. And I know they didn't get every piece. It was raining. The trajectory, 
there was pieces shooting 300 yards, you know, very far. Yeah. And there yeah. was stuff that went all over. And I know I'm going to get a piece of it here soon. Just uh, I'm just trying to, yeah. I'm trying to find a team because, yeah, I could go out there and find a piece of it. But who, who's going to believe me? Mm-hmm. I, I, I need, I need to find a little piece for my own sanity. Yeah. And then I need to get a hold of a professional crew, you know, for television, you know, someone big. Yeah. And I, I have some connections and things like that. And I want to get a professional team with professional cameras and do this right, find a piece of it. And that's that. Have you, <laughs> have you ever heard of the documentary, The Phenomenon? Yes, uh, Stephen Gert. Yeah, I don't know David James Fox. I just interviewed a while ago. He might be a man who might be interested in helping you. That would be very interesting. I've been uh, there's a few people I've been working with, and uh, the Mutual UFO Network. They Mm -hmm. covered my case. Mm -hmm. Um, They were highly involved, and uh, they've been helping me as much as they can, but. I'm having a lot of hard time finding information about my family's case. And I, I, I see you smirking because you probably know all the, and I trust me, I'm working with some of the big, the big, the big players and it is what it is. Uh, for example, the following day, you know, a lot of investigators came. My mom was up till three o'clock on the phone. Right. The following day, MUFON came. My mom, my family called no one. No one but 911. The next day, newspapers come. MUFON comes. They're taking pictures of our backyard, saying they're finding stuff. I cannot find these pictures, and I'm working with the East Coast director of MUFON. Mm. You know, like it was such an old time. I don't know if they, the files got misplaced or where they could be. Or, or was and, it MUFON actually? Yeah. I, who knows, but, uh, they do have the articles and well, that's the weird thing about the pictures because in my MUFON articles, they don't really talk about taking pictures in the area, Mm -hmm. but my aunt said there was people in the backyard taking pictures and they said they were a MUFON, but in the MUFON articles, they don't mention about taking any pictures. Anyone hear something stranger? In the MUFON articles, the reporter that did it, the one, he went to do a site investigation two days afterwards, 12 o'clock at night. There were no streetlights there. How would he wouldn't have seen anything in the brush? You know that. You know what brush is. There's no way. Who investigates a site for tire marks, tree cuts, gouges in marshland? In a place with no streetlights, 12 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. But, very suspect day, very suspect. But in the articles, they were, you know, they knew something happened and they yeah. left little clues in there. But you can tell they were really trying to protect my family. Yeah. They even made a couple statements, you know, they're remaining anonymous. They don't want publicity. My family didn't want this. No. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries or the show Sightings. They came out, they did a hypnosis session on my mom, a regression therapy where they were going to block out her face. I haven't been able to find it. And I don't think it ever aired. I don't think it aired. It was probably Um, stopped. 
but they did come there. It was the show sightings or unsolved mystery. We're not sure which one, but it never aired. Um, the Philadelphia news came Philadelphia KYW three news. They came, they did two separate things. The first one, they busted in my aunt's job. She was a realtor at century 21, big realtor company. They busted in there and she's, you know, very religious, very, you know, yeah. super, super Christian, lovely woman. Awesome. Very soft-spoken, quiet, very to herself. They barged in there. So they did a second part where they were all at our house, you know, grandpa's house, we all called it, you know, where my mom and I, we all lived. Yeah. And they did a second interview there. And in the interview for the news, my mom said exactly what the men in black. And I have this documented because it was documented. The news, I have the writings. And she said, I'm willing to put my life on it. It was a helicopter. You know, why? Why would my mom be willing to put her life on, you know, it's because of the threat that came the prior night. And she did that. But Mufon was asking her about her dreams. Keep in mind, she had a brief regression therapy. So as coy as possible, you know, she told them about the dream she was having before the night of the crash, going out to a half wooded area, seeing four, um, mongooses walking erect you know unison some of the grays are hive minded some of them Mm. the clone ones some of the zeta reticuli all of those cats some of them have these hive minds and they do operate within unison not all have to make that clear Mm. but they uh were approaching her and she saw three to four hamster cages with red and orange twist ties going around the bars And she also saw two large snakes and she felt like she was protecting the snakes from the mongooses. Now that was the dream, but after regression therapy, you get to see what is really going on. And I'm sure when you hear that, you kind of see the picture that's going on. And especially with red and orange twist ties, you know, DNA strands, red and orange, the T and C strand, and the hamster, she was a part of the hybrid program, you know, and she was in contact with a bunch of different beings. Mm-hmm. And I think because of her contact with some, it kind of forced others to get involved. You know, I think it was, you know, you had ones trying to protect her mm-hmm. and you had ones trying to use her genetics, right. her, it was very valuable to them. And unfortunately Many different species, uh, many different ones, not just uh, the ones that are all roses and love and light and source energy. There's ones where we are just genetic material Mm. and that's how it goes. And I can accept that. But to be on the bad, the receiving end of that can be traumatizing. Although my mother says she was never afraid. She says she was never afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, not even with the ones that were doing things that were questionable, you know, against maybe our codes of ethics and the way we look at the universe. But, you know, she says she was never afraid, not even with, you know, the ones she called the tall whites. They are these uh, tall gray extraterrestrials with very light, almost, you know, white, but yeah, light 
gray. Uh, they're very old beings. They are also the ones that fly the elongated black triangular craft with this Kapalsh, you know, mm. system of energy. And they were one of the beings involved. And my mom was also involved with the blues, which, you know, the Octorians coming from the Octorian star system. Was she told where they came from or was that just innate knowing? This this was when it all first came to her, like growing up, she had her own names for these things. She always had her own names for these things and she never really asked. But certain ones she kind of did. Like we always called the Zeta Gray Zeta Grays. The little Zeta Gray, we we always we always knew that's what we called them. We called mm-hmm. them Zeta Grays, which they actually there's a couple different species and they have their own names and they come from slightly different. There's Zeta Reticuli one, Zeta Reticuli two. There's two star systems that is complex. Not to get yeah, <laughs> off yeah. topic, but you know, and keep in mind when I was growing up, I'm her child. She really simplified things and mm-hmm. whether they were telling her more, there was a lot my mom didn't tell me until I got older. And a lot of it, for the most part, they never really went over that. Uh, the thing that really stuck with her the most and the thing that kind of haunted her was her encounters with her children. It seems like everything else, like, you know, experiments, things they were doing to her, that would come and go and she can live on with that. But anytime she would see her children, this is what she would be like up in the middle of the night crying about. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't what they were doing to her or the experiments, but it was, you know, seeing her children, knowing that they are her children, communicating to them telepathically and not being able to nurture them, not being able to take care of them. And that drove her, you know, that mm-hmm. was, that was the worst part of it. And mm-hmm. on top of that, more than the UFO crash and the alien abductions and encounters, you know, my mother was having the response you would get from the public. Mm-hmm. If you were to talk about this, this is my aunt, which my aunt, she's still alive. Unfortunately, my mother passed away last year. Oh, uh, two months before I found the evidence proving our family story. Mm. It's almost like she orchestrated all of this to happen. Like she, there's a lot of things she didn't tell me. I know she didn't tell me. And now, you know, she's not here. I'm starting to figure everything out. And yeah. uh, I just wish it was the other way around, but yeah. it's the way the universe goes. But um, yeah, it found the articles and that's why I made the documentary. I did the thing to honor her and help other people because there are thousands of people that have had your experience, mm-hmm. her experience, so many that mm-hmm. people that are going through this. And, you know, I remember at a young age, around five or six, seven, being at a party with my mom, you know, they're having a bonfire. Someone talks about, you know, a movie with an alien in it or something casually, yeah. you know. And my mom would bring up the crash story and talk about her alien abductions. They would all start laughing at her. Mm. And I remember her crying and like running off. Oh, and that just, that. that that stuck with me and being yeah. young. And I knew she wasn't lying. Yeah. And I saw how people were treating her. Yeah. So I just basically found out, you know, 
keep my mouth shut about this. And unfortunately, she did. And what she did was drink alcohol because when she would drink alcohol, they couldn't abduct her and do these experiments. She was putting poison into her bloodstream. Therefore, wasn't that valuable a hybrid and she said the abductions would stop and you know and that's not i'm sure that's not the only reason you know i'm not blaming it all on extraterrestrials by any means but not having people to talk about you know Mm -hmm. about these things and learn how to empower yourself which which is a shame because towards the end when she was starting to get sick and stuff she got really into reiki she started hanging out with spiritualist people, yeah. you know, she, she finally, you know, towards the end of it, you know, things were starting to awaken. She finally you know? found some peace. Yeah. And, and at that point it was too late though. And, you know, and not having evidence or proof, it, it just makes it harder to share your story. Yeah. Where after I found the articles, I had some very, you know, good evidence to present and by doing this i was hoping that i could help people and this experience and you know the abductions my mom was going through you know like i said what was more scarier you know than the crash or the aliens honestly was the men in black threatening my mom to take me away Mm -hmm. and people's judgment Mm -hmm. that's worse than the whole phenomenon yeah yeah Even worse than the babies, you know? I remember when we had our Men in Black experience, we saw a UFO over over our home in the middle of a city. The next morning, the Men in Black were at our place, not hours later, the next morning. And they traumatized my mother. She was the same age as your mum in her early 20s. And I remember there were three, three Men in Black in my case. And I've talked about it in previous episodes, but They traumatized her so badly that she slammed the door on them and then went and tried to light a cigarette and her hand was shaking so badly that she dropped the cigarette lighter. It was just, and she was by herself because her husband was out of town. And so, you know, and she had little kids in the house. So I know how it must have been for your mum because I remember how it was for my mum. It really traumatized her. And to me, the men in black said, one of them said to the other, well, what about the little girl? Because I was standing at the door with mum. Oh, she's too young. She won't remember. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big mistake on their part. Because since then, I've talked about it every opportunity I've gotten. I've spoken about it and I've never been shy about talking about my experiences. And, and I've had people do the same thing to me that your mum went through. But you know what? I don't care. I know what I experienced. I know it's real and it's my mission to speak out about it. And this is one of the reasons I started this podcast so that people like your mum wouldn't have to feel so alone and isolated because it's a very dreadful thing to feel like that. Very, very awful. I I feel so sorry for your mum and for you. How has this affected you? And I bet your bottom dollar that you've had experiences yourself. (laughs) <laughs> uh definitely mm-hmm. and uh i'm absolutely the same way with the men in black uh, i know this is a podcast but i have a t-shirt with uh the ufo oh, and the lower alloways creek 
And on the back, it's a men in black. I don't want to spin around for audio purposes, but there's a men in black and it says crickers keep secrets. <laughs> and uh, I'm like kind of making fun of them. But um, how has this affected me? Um, like I said, I was three and a half years old. Mm. Um, at the time, as I'm t- as I was told by my mother and my grandmother, it really traumatized me. Mm. I do have memories of bits and parts of it and a little bit more, but they uh, at the time the movie Aliens was out, you know, I had a lot of the alien toys and they would come with comic books and they had to take all the comic books away because see the the reality of you know, these things being real versus Hollywood making monsters out of it. You know, I I'm in one ear, I'm hearing, Hey, these things are real. And then I'm playing with toys and reading comic books where I'm like, well, if those are real, you know, like, are these things going to, you know, and it was cool. It was a balancing act and finding, you know, that, you know, just because you see it on TV doesn't mean that it's real, but it's based off of something that is real. Right. You know, keep an right. open mind. It, it's things are based off of things that right. are things indeed. And so I started having that, but I was having really bad nightmares and it wasn't about the alien toys. That's just what my family thought. You know, uh, my family was constantly talking about this. My grand elderly grandfather would yell and say, Stop talking about it. You're scaring the youngin. You're scaring the youngin. You're scaring the youngin. <laughs> and that old Southern voice. And because I guess it was scaring me, but I remember having very vivid dreams of strange things around that time. Um, just things that every now and then they kind of come back to me. I can't piece it together. And it was a dream, but it, it doesn't, the dreams don't make sense. Uh, I don't I don't think they're relevant to the case. I think it was something else going on after the UFO crash happened. But as far as abductions or anything like that, I don't think I've ever had that experience. I don't think I've ever been uh, abducted by aliens, although <laughs> I'm definitely in contact with them. Uh, that there's no doubt about that. And I've seen them with my own eyes in my living room. I had my own encounter. Listen to this 2012, 2012. And here's the kicker last year, when I found the articles of my family's UFO crash, we didn't know the exact date. That's why it took 30 years. I didn't know when it happened. And also I was looking for UFO crash and it's labeled as a mysterious helicopter crash. Right. So how, how could I ever find the articles? It took me 30 years, yeah, and, yeah. But, but I found them, but I found them. And so, you know, all this time went by and just last year, I found out the date. I found out the date, which was April 21st, 1991. Just turns out the day that I saw this energy being light thing. I don't know whatever it was when I saw this, it was 21 years to the exact day, April 21st, 1990. Uh, I'm sorry, 2012, mm-hmm. the exact same day. And at that time, I didn't know that that was the day of the crash. Right. And 
I didn't know that experience was that day until last year, because once I learned to date, I went on my Facebook. And during that time, when I saw that being, it kind of gave me a mass download. And I started writing math problems and all this wacky, wild stuff. And I took a couple goofy pictures and like I had like quantum physics of the triangle and matrix and codes, you know, just stuff like that. And I was just goofing off. Math is fun. It's 2012. I was young, dumb. And I went back and I looked at the date and it was April 21st. So whatever this encounter is in this being, it's, you know, I believe it has something to do with whatever took out that triangular UFO, almost like it was checking in on me. Very interesting. Now, I really felt really strongly that you would have had contact, and I don't necessarily call them abductions because I'm not an abductee. I'm a contactee. There's a difference. Um, Yeah, exactly. Against my will. I've always, and my earliest memory with encounters was when I was three. So I could really relate with what you were going through but for me it was the opposite it wasn't scary in the least however I listening to your story uh, I knew quite clearly that you have had encounters probably your entire life but the rest you may not remember but at the stage that you visually saw this this being and and I'll ask you what he looked like in a minute. Um, you were mature enough at an emotional level where you could deal with it. Whereas before you weren't because you had everything else that you had to sort out in your life. Absolutely. And I, I agree with that. And that was a big part of it. And throughout my life, they've they've only gave me what I could handle. Correct. Um, and believe it or not, for example, when I was uh After I graduated high school, I went to Bible college. I became a pastor. I was in the church and, you know, I I was always, you know, meditating, praying, things like this, and always trying to help humanity, although I wasn't like a super, and I'm not a religious person by any means anymore. I've studied a lot of different religions. I've also lived in the Middle East where I studied Islam and other things like that. I've studied everything and I've traveled where I needed to go to get stuff done. And um, it's, I've always had these, you know, like you said, there's a big difference between abductee and contactee. Mm. I'm definitely a contactee, but they've always gave me things in their own timing and timings I can handle. And I'm not going to lie after I had that experience with that ball of light, um, it got really hard. And when you read of stories of people in history that have had encounters with these beings and some of their reactions afterwards, Mm. it makes sense. Mm. And it makes total sense of why, you know, a lot of people, it really makes you question anything. And after I saw that ball of light, um, you know, to have that much information come at once, it really kind of starts to go to your head right. and it's really overwhelming. Yes. And I guess I was a really slow learner. Like this has always kind of been me and I'm still learning things. I'm like way behind the curve. Uh, I think, you know, my mom was the thing being worked on and, you know, I, I just kind of look at myself as a science project, you know, eh, let's see what happens. And, um, 
I'm a little behind behind the curve on things, but when I saw that ball of light, uh, it showed me a lot of things, and I called my mom, and that's when my mom really started to ex- to explain things more about you know who I am and etc. and all that, and it was a lot to take in. And I remember at one point I kind of hit a low, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, well if I'm this or I'm supposed to be doing that, you know, cause I was just getting all this information. It was just too much. Mm-hmm. I was hearing things from my ancestors. It's it's not just aliens. No, no. Of course I was, I, I, hearing my ancestors first before the aliens, right. you know, and it's like, what is going on? It was over. And especially when you have ancestors like mine, it's, it was just too much. I'm like, well, okay, if I just, if I end it, if I end my life, if I take it, I can stop everything. I was arguing with them after I saw this ball of light because I didn't like what, what they were showing me. Mm -hmm. I I didn't like it. And I said, well, if I'm a part of your precious uh, plan or whatever, and keep in mind, that was just my ego from all this information coming yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't realize all of it. And this is why they don't drop this information on people. This is exactly why they don't do it. So, you know, it was a lot. I said, well, just stop it. None of that stuff has to happen. And they told me, it. you're nothing special. If it's not you, it, we're just going to choose someone else. And that's it. And w- when they said it like that, I'm like, uh, you know, I started thinking about it more and trying to accept and trying to find ways to, you know, just go on with having a normal life. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, that year was really, really bad. Um, after I saw that ball of light, which my, at the time my ex-wife, she saw it too. It terrified her. And eventually, after all of these experiences, she ditched me in Florida. I ended up moving to Middle East and I taught English there for a while. And I did that. And then I came back to the States. I have been all over, done a lot of things, but it was a lot of change after I saw that ball of light. I went from having this kind of life, you know, my church kicked me out, called Mm. me a call me a demon, uh, you know, because, you know, I saw a ball of light and we were having a meeting and they were getting on my case and stuff. I, I was in a Christian metal band and I would tour around the country playing concerts, doing pra- prayers of salvation, living in a van with five dudes spreading the gospel. I'm sorry. That sounds a lot like Jesus to me, you know, and that's what we were doing. And we were really reaching a lot of young people coming from broken homes that listen yeah. to angry music. And we were making positive, positive words and really trying to help people. So like, no matter what I've always done, the center of it's been about helping people. And, you know, we would go around and they were getting on me saying, you need to be a better husband and stuff like this. And just really attacking me. And, I quoted something out the Bible and they said, that's not in the Bible. And there's an old Bible on the table and I grabbed the Bible and I opened up the Bible and it was the exact page and the exact verse of 
what I said was in there. And yeah, they, they pulled out the whole demon and I opened up and these were like the elders of the church. I wasn't going around talking about my ball of light experience publicly. And I was a pastor. I went to Bible college. I wasn't just some guy attending there. I was the future youth pastor. I was on the worship team. I was a big part of it. You know, I, Mm. I put help with the floors there, mission trips, everything. And um, when when they call me a demon, that hurt so mm. bad. And it's like, you know, I the only reason I at that time became a Christian is because when I read the Bible and I heard the alien encounters in there, I said I can get behind this. Mm. And I would ask Christians, I would ask Christians, you believe this? They said absolutely. And then as soon as I start to share. My story, that's a lot like these guys. Oh, I'm crazy, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I think people, the answers are in history, not just the Bible. All oh. the ancient, all cultures, all religions have so much light. We just got to learn to see it. You know, yeah. I, I just interviewed a chap yesterday who who've had on my show before. He wrote a book called Escaping from Eden. And his latest book, which I just... I, I, I've heard of You've that. You've heard of him? It's a, it's, he was a pastor for like 33 years. He taught theology. He studied all the ancient texts, not only the Bible. He studied linguistics. Really a, amazing, amazing chap. One of my favorite people to talk to. And he had an accident and he hurt his leg. And so he thought, well, while I've got this time, I'll go through Genesis again because there's things in here that really don't sit with me. And so he did. And through his studies, he came to the conclusion that the Genesis stories are about aliens creating humankind. Absolutely. I could add on that really, really, really. Absolutely. Oh, I wish this was a video. Yeah, I can see. uh, Yeah. But, uh, Absolutely. The story uh, Genesis actually comes from ancient Samaria. It was, you know, it was an oral tradition. And that's exactly what it is. Even in the Bible, it is plural. It uses they made us in their image to be like their likeness. It's plural. It's nothing singular at all. And even down to the rib cage. Do you know the rib, the rib of the human body holds the highest amounts of human DNA? It's one of the spots on the body that contains the most DNA in the fatty part around the ribs. Interesting. And what was used to make Woman? You know, it's genetic engineering. Genetic engineering, yeah. And that's just the story of one. One creation. One create. You, yeah. should, you should go and listen to the episode. It's really cool. Uh, in fact, I just replayed it last week. It was one of my replays. It was my last one. Escaping from Eden. It's really, you will find it. It will resonate so well with you. And, of course, this guy experienced the same things when he started speaking out and saying, hey, like he taught pastors to become pastors. That's how involved. He was an archdeacon in the Anglican Church. He was mm-hmm. the church doctor, so he did the, you know, the exorcisms or I don't know what they call them in the church, but he did those sort of things as well. You know, he was really, really heavily involved in. 
now he's got people who don't even want to know him. Most of them have been pretty good. Some people will say, well, we'll still be friends, but I'm not going to read your book. Mm. It's how it goes. And, yeah, uh, really, really cool. I'm pretty sure I've heard of it. And I same thing after li- and I lived in the Middle East as well. Yeah. To uh, live there and take it in. Mm. Ooh, it, it's a it's a lot to absorb. No doubt about it. Right. And I've you know, it's like I've done one big circle through it all. And one thing, you know, I'm so happy I've took the time to learn these things. But another big part of my experience is I, I've done my genealogy on both sides of my family. And it's, it's a complex one. And on the one side, it's Native American. I come from the tribe. It's called the Beniki or the Abenaki which Anunnaki, Abenaki, and and my great-grandfather was the chief. We come from the medicine workers. Uh, We don't call ourselves shaman, very much like the aboriginals, you know, the the same kind of situation. And even in New Zealand, you know, the the same situation. And we have our origin story, Mm -hmm. you know, of a being rising up out of the lake and creating, you know, the same, same origin story we all have. It's just what I talked uh, to Paul about yesterday. He was talking about his, yeah, beings coming out from the lake, uh, genetically modifying the humans, abducting human women, using them for hybrid program. Yeah, exactly. And um, the Abenaki, the Abenaki, you know, uh, my grandmother, my aunt, everyone on that family, especially my aunt, she has a lot of um, abilities and she's been like teaching me. I didn't know that side of my family. I didn't know this about me. And um, it's a, you know, it's a magical. My great grandfather, he built two magical canoes. He built magical canoes and one of them was sold to Avery Rockefeller like the Rockefeller and him and Avery Rockefeller would take this magical canoe and go on one lake and go on these magical canoe rides out on this one lake. You know, my, my native American great grandfather that lived out in the wilderness hanging out with Avery Rockefeller what what's going on it's mm, weird interesting strange strange things and uh the origin I've also last year I got to go to my family's petroglyphs we have petroglyphs oh, and wow. cool. they're gray alien heads <laughs> I went there to the site and check this out those are the ones that are public I'm friends with uh archaeologists and underwater diver and before I went up there, I got in touch and she found out I'm Abenaki and I got in touch with the tribe council and they just got a land trust. They just preserved an area. And there is a significant rock to my people that the public does not know about. And I was lucky enough to get brought to the site and see the petroglyphs that are underwater that no one knows they're there. It's, you know, th- this is a very important rock. And um, I got to just sit there and vibe with my ancestors. And it's, it's deep. It's deep stuff. It's deep stuff. 
I was just going to say they tend to, the star people or sky people, whatever you want to call them, I call them star people. That's been my name for them for my entire life. They follow families through generations. They do. They follow people, specific souls, actually, through reincarnation lines down the generations. And, and for the the abductions, one thing I've learned in my research from the abduction aspect and these uh, hybrid programs, maternal, I've noticed a trend where, like, for example, a mother can have a son and a daughter. They can be abductees. But when that son has children, it won't work that way unless his wife, you know, is an abductee. Mm. Have you caught on to that trend? Is that something you've noticed? I can't say that I've gone into it in that much detail because the hybrid program has not been part of my journey. Um, So it's not been something that's, you know, like for you, it's part of your, it's part of your story. But to my, the best of my recollection, it's not been part of my story. Yeah. But, of course, there's so many different species that are out there that are contacting, uh, that us contact EC and that are abducting people that, you know, it's a pot as to who you get, really, isn't it? <laughs> it? It really is. And like I said, you know, it wasn't always hybrid. When she was with the Octorians and the ones she called the Nordics, whether they were Lyrians or plate they're all the same thing mm-hmm. they're all they're all coming from the man system like kepler 62 lyra star constellation that's why we call it the man system it's where a lot of cats came from <laughs> no pun intended you know what <laughs> one of one of my favorite memories one of my favorite memories that i have of star people is lying on ground somewhere with two beings that were feline and uh, feline they had I don't know what species it's never bothered me what species they were but I love these beans and we were just lying on the ground I had my head resting on the tummy of one of them who's lying on the back and we were just chatting away about I don't know but it was just very relaxed and it was very loving and it's my favorite memory my favorite memory and I think that's why I've always loved cats I love cats so much they're amazing they're known yeah. as the Lani they come from the man system uh, they're a part. There's also more humanoids. They're they're actually not cats. They no. would get extremely offended. Yeah, yeah, no, they no. They just had feline, feline. I remember the fur was very, very short, more like uh-huh. thick hair. You know, yep. but very soft, beautiful beings, beautiful. And I don't talk about them often because that's one of my favorite memories is just lying down. Just in, there were the three of us just enjoying each other's company. You know, it wasn't stressful. There was no pressure. It was just very loving. And, you know, to me, it's never mattered where a being comes from. What matters to me is how they make me feel. Exactly. And use your intuition. Yeah. yeah. And that, that can tell you everything you need to know, Absolutely. regardless of what they look like. Because there's some really ugly ones that are actually sweethearts. And there's some pretty ones that aren't so pretty. The ones, that's what I'm always telling people, the ones that are the very worst ones are absolutely beautiful. The Greek god type. You would look at them and drop your drawers, but they're the ones you really don't want to have anything to do with. Nothing. They're the ones that control the system currently. 
absolutely but not for much longer the day is is rapidly drawing to a close so we're getting like kind of all over the place here let's get back to your mum I'm so sorry that's my fault I I get excited when I talk about this because obviously it's a a huge part of my life I mean I it's been it's as much part of my life as breathing is you know yeah absolutely so how did this I assume after a while the interest died down for your mum and your family Yes. My mom cut it off. She like stopped. Like they just, my aunt wouldn't pick up the phone when it ran. And my mom stopped meeting MUFON. Uh, They came out two other times. They recorded her hypnosis sessions. Yeah. Although I just, so I can't find those tapes that they have. I definitely would think they would be on record. Yes. Who knows what happened to them? Who knows? But um, and at the same time, my mom and grandma, we recorded it as well, mm. but they experienced some sort of audio difficulty during the time my baby monitors would go off constantly. Right. A lot of uh, weird situations. And this was like before and after the crash. Right. My baby monitors would really do wonky things. Per my mom would tell me, I some of these things I don't remember all that well, but certain other things I do, you know, certain parts stuck with me. A lot of it, you know, it's it's blurred. I don't remember the baby monitors going off, but from what I'm told, that's what was going on. Right. But it was a uh, it was a lot of different stuff going on, and my mom basically just you know cut it off because she wanted to protect me and what these beings were doing with her. If she would have, you know, went really public with it, this would have been the Roswell of, you know, mm. New Jersey. And my mom knew that kids are ruthless. Yes. And I would have went to school and people would have, you know, aliens are raping your mom, you know, yeah. like just really inappropriate. Yeah. And she didn't want that life for me. Oh. And she sacrificed, you know, everything in order to protect me of course yeah of course as you would of course ah and and i can see that as difficult as this has been for you this journey has been it's also prepared you for what you're doing now which is educating people yeah it's it's been a journey and you know having Having the knowledge of these things being real at such a young age and actually, you know, it, a lot of us, we need to see something to believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even with having a UFO crash behind my house and my mother being an abductee and hearing this, even with all of that, it still took a while. And honestly, the, the, the first real nail in the coffin was when I saw that energy being. Yeah. That's that's what really, really did it. And by that time, I was, you know, I was very involved with church right. elevating, yeah. you know. And but that that was like a, you know, I've seen a lot of weird things and this, but that there's no doubt in my mind anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I don't know how I could have had doubt. I always kind of had doubt because. I knew what the consequences were and my mother knew what the consequences were. 
And it was better to, have, to just yeah. back of the mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back of the mind. Yeah, I totally you never that. forgot about mm-hmm. it. And occasionally, like when I would have band people coming over, you know, and we would all be hanging out. My mom would open up. Mm. She would share her experience and they would listen. Some people did believe us, mm. you know, because they knew our character. Yeah. And then there's some people that we would know for years, you know, five, six years and people I would hang out with every day. I would eventually tell them. I don't go up to people. Hey, I'm Robert Earl White. I had a UFO crash. Maybe now I do. But right. before I, I didn't do that. I didn't. That's not how I did. I would wait a couple of years until I knew someone's character. And if I could trust them, then I would tell them. And then sometimes they still laughed at yeah. me. And I'm like, you know, and oh, man, I, I've had many tears over that because that feeling of knowing when no doubt in your mind something happened. And no one believes you. And that's why I made it my mission to help people. Like, for example, maybe my mom didn't have to drink, you know, uh, to bury this. If she had other people to talk to. Yeah, exactly. And I hope by sharing the story, you know, it can encourage people to come out and share their experiences because we all have a little piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And when we put it all together, that's only the time we can start to understand these things. Absolutely. That's what it takes Absolutely. for sure. Oh, good for you, Robert. Well done. I know it's very, very difficult. And like, I can only speak for me. I've always been pretty fearless about speaking it because I really don't give up what people think of me. You know, I've exactly. developed us over the, I've, I'm 65 this year. And I, over my lifetime, I've gotten to the stage, well, really in my 30s, I got to that stage where I thought, who cares what people think? You know, I, I just don't care anymore because I know what's true. I know what's real. Uh-huh. And if they're still sleeping, well, that's their journey and that's where they're at at this point in time. And like yourself, it's about helping people to know that they're not alone, know that we as a species are not alone uh, and that there is so much coming for us, great things coming. Like this year, I think it's going to be a very exciting year in terms of what's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, There's a lot of things Always, listeners, please remember this. There are two narratives to everything. Great. And um, this is a complex one. For example, my stepdad, he works for Space Force, NASA. He, 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 he builds things. And some of the things he's building, he's warned me of. And what's going on right now, people, <laughs> they cannot... It's, it's a lot going on. And my stepdad warned me. He said, you have a lot of work to do. Mm. And I'm taking uh, one player's narrative. I'm twisting it. And I'm playing the people's disclosure. We've kind of started a movement. few people I work with, we are the disclosure. Because I believe disclosure comes from the experiencers like you and I. Yeah. The abductees, not from the ones that have spent everything to bury it, cover it and make us question 
our sanity. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We, we are the disclosure. Absolutely. Uh, I I agree with that. And that's one of the reasons I started my podcast. Educate, you know, to spread the word. Good for you. And I knew when you started talking that that all these experiences have prepped you for what you're doing now, which is what you've been trained to do, what they what your star people have taught you to do your entire life, even though you may not have conscious memory of it. They're really good at that. Very good. They, mm-hmm. they, whether you know you're on the path or not, it don't really matter what turns you take. No. They're going to make sure you end up where you needed to be yeah. for whatever reason they want you there to be for. And, you know, like, for example, when it comes to, although I'm not religious, I know the religion so well that if someone is religious, I can explain these beings in a way where they don't have to leave their religion. This ain't about, you know, leaving their religions. It's about understanding it differently. Mm. You know, Mm. that's that's all we have to do. Mm. We don't have to leave any of it. We just got to look at it differently. And remember one important thing. Love is the key love one another and i say that laughing and joking but it's like really really hard to do (laughs) it is you know one of the things the most profound thing that i recall one of my my favorite star people saying to me was this and i've repeated it so many times my listeners are probably sick of it but it hit me on a soul level and that's this they said to me marianne he said to me marianne when you do anything you must do it from your heart. When you think, think from your heart. When you speak, speak from your heart. When you act, act from your heart. And those are the most profound, wise words that I've ever heard. And since then, I've really tried to live my life like that. And sometimes, you know, Robert, we don't have to say anything to people. Just being in their presence, our energies automatically we say more with our energetic bodies than we do with our words absolutely and i i've always been a high energy person i've always been you know a lot of stuff i do on my tiktok that that's comedy but it's actually strategic of course um i have my ways of getting around things and telling people what's going on but if they're not ready yet they can laugh at it I said, you know, what is it about? Is it about how many people I'm reaching or is it about how good I'm making myself look, Mm -hmm. how educated I'm making myself look? Mm -hmm. How about I drop the ego and my pride? How about I drop that and and let's see if the message gets out there, you know, because it's not about me. It's about planting seeds, isn't it? That's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. That's exactly Mm -hmm. what it is. Mm -hmm. And trees take a long time to grow. Well, sometimes they but do. But when they get there, it's beautiful. Sometimes they do, sometimes yes. they don't. Um, my star people told me back in the 80s that, that humanity had to reach a certain level where there were a certain number of people awake before there would be a tipping point that would cause the things that are happening now. And that happened about 
two and a half, three years ago, that tipping point was reached. And since then, there's been a huge polarisation. And I talked with Paul about this yesterday as well. There's been a huge polarisation. You know, we've had people standing up for what's right. Like we've had the Me Too movement. We've had uh, people where they're seeing injustices, questioning the government, questioning what they're taught, questioning everything. And this is... That's it. This is... Oh, it's such an exciting time to be alive, to be a part of, and for us to do our work now to help educate people, even if they laugh at us, I don't care. At least it gets them thinking and questioning. And most people... If they don't discard it outright, they'll at least, and I always say to people, listen, you don't have to believe a word I say. What I ask you to do is question it. How does this sit within me? How does this sit in my heart? Does it resonate with me? Does it feel right? Or does it make me feel uncomfortable, uneasy, scared, you know? Take what resonates with you and discard the rest. And then question question everything. everything. Yeah, question everything. Because with the right question, you get to find the right answer. You can't get the answers without asking the right question. Where can people find you if they want to contact you, if they want to know more about you? Where can they find you? I have uh, the link, the direct me link, which should be in the description of this. If you click on that, I have uh, the YouTube documentary, three-part documentary, along with an interview I did with the woman who's in part three. Uh, she's an amazing person, Elena Denan. We work together. That's the whole we are the disclosure thing. Uh, oh. On top of that, yeah. And she's she was an archaeologist in Egypt for many years. She was born in France. Uh, she made a book of 110 different species. She's in contact with Palladians. Uh, we've been working together. She heard my mother's story, and she's been through the exact same thing. And uh, a little, a little different, but um, phenomenal story. So we've been working together. We started doing it right around the same time, and she's doing really, really well. She just did an interview on her channel uh, with a former Area 51 uh, employee, and he died four days after releasing the thing. Um, what's your yeah. channel called what's your youtube channel called your YouTube? uh robert earl white right. order of light order of light that's the group i've named and you know that's the mission uh to shed light onto darkness what about um social media what social media are you on so people can follow you i i have a uh, tiktok robert earl white order of light on tiktok i have a facebook robert earl white and YouTube, I have a Clapper account. I use that as well. But in the direct me link, if you click in that, you can access all the other links as well. So mostly just TikTok and YouTube. I've just been so busy. I spend most of my time in messages talking to experiencers. But if you use the name Order of Light or Robert Earl White, I come up on just about everything robert thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation and i can see how these experiences have impacted your life and made you who you are and where you're going in your in your last journey so i I really appreciate you taking the time to share with me and my listeners your journey thank you so much 
I found it incredibly sad for both Robert's mum and Robert how she was threatened, intimidated and coerced into going along with what the government at that stage wanted to be the official story. That of a helicopter crashing, how traumatising and terrifying that was for her. One can only imagine. That government, and in fact most world governments, have a lot to answer for, especially in the way that they have treated people who have had experiences over the decades threatening, belittling and encouraging the humiliation of those brave enough to speak up about it, all done through social manipulation and engineering of the general public's attitudes towards the subject. And even with this so-called new attitude of the government and military that they are tooting in all the media since the release of that document a little while ago, that document that basically said, well, we have these crafts, we don't know what they are or where they come from, but they're not Russian or Chinese. They're not swamp gas, weather balloons, Venus or any other of the excuses we've used for decades. We don't know what they are. I'm calling bullshit on that one. They absolutely do know what they are. And this experience Robert shared with us today is a glaring example of their knowing. But they're only presenting a very watered down, very carefully worded document intended to pacify some of the general public, but those of us, like Robert and myself, We know the truth from personal experiences, as do countless more of us out there. And as my star people told me back in the 80s, if the world's governments don't release this information to humanity as a whole, the choice will be taken out of their hands. Will be taken out of their hands. The governments over the past three years have been slowly and steadily increasing the social manipulation using social engineering of the general public to get them to the stage where they, for the most part, now accept at least the potential of life existing off this planet and visiting us. However, they are also priming and presenting them as a potential threat to national security. But honestly, these beings are so very, very far advanced from us that really, if they wanted to destroy us or take over humanity, they would have done so many times over by now. And there would have been nothing we could do to stop them. So don't buy into the national security propaganda that's been put out there for you all to absorb and accept. That's nonsense. Utter and total rubbish. Just rubbish. My guest Robert has the right idea. We, the people, who've experienced these things firsthand, we are the disclosure. Hopefully now more of us will start speaking up and telling of our experiences, both good and bad, with these beings, our neighbours and perhaps distant relatives that do not live on this planet. But indeed, visit us. It's time for humanity to come of age and recognise that life, intelligent life, absolutely does exist off this planet. It's time for humanity to take its rightful place amongst our intergalactic neighbours.
in the words of that fictional Star Trek captain Jean-Luc Picard, make it so. Today's bumper music's called Welcome to Mars. Before I end this episode, I want to remind you all that this is the final episode for Season 7. I'll be taking a wee break off the digital waves, but keep an eye out for a promo with teasers from Season 8 in the next few weeks. But of course, this is only a break on here. Behind the scenes, I'll be very busy interviewing and recording episodes for the next season, doing social media posts, etc. So not actually a break for me, just a pause is all, so I can catch my breath and get ready to give you great new episodes. I already have about seven guests lined up ready to interview, so a busy but enjoyable time coming up. Just so you don't miss out on this promo or on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms, including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. If you enjoy our podcast, then please consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As a patron, you get early access to the podcast episodes and a special members-only page on the podcast website that has bits which end up on the digital cutting board. And you can download full written transcripts of each episode. Also, you get my absolute appreciation and gratitude patreon.com forward slash mcc15 check out our facebook page walking the shadowlands our instagram feed of the same name and our twitter feed at shadowlands 10 tiktok under walking underscored the underscored shadowlands like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes if you don't have a smartphone then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thank you so much for listening. Today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours, I'll see you after this season's break. See you then. Thanks for listening. 